The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, listeners, before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, special promotion for you. If you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratification of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports on OwnerBox. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through the first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $100. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $100 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bub on the Bat Flip, episode 61. Continuing our trip around the diamond with our third base preview to the 2021 fantasy season. As usual, top 10 NFBC ADP, targets in the mid-range and late targets, and all your wonderful listener questions. You can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick, and you can find my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? We're doing pretty well, uh, Bubba. You know, I my, um, my mic... My my Yeti mic, uh, the the cord broke on it. So for those of you who are streaming this, you can see I have I have my mic wrapped around my around my head, <laughs> so that the thing on my iPad iPhone uh, headphones is closer to my mouth. So hopefully the the volume will be better. I know that there's been a couple people who have said that they wanted that the volume was an issue. So hopefully. Uh, Hopefully this is better, but I'm doing I'm doing well, Bubba. Um, I'm in my second DC draft, and I feel like I'm starting to get a feel for things. I'm very much enjoying it. Um, so yeah, how are you doing? 
I am doing. Uh, as of last week, I was doing an NPC fifty, and that is uh, wrapped up. Uh, I start. I'm doing analyst leagues for best ball. We have one in round thirty four. Just started the second one up. It's in around like seven. I start a new one after the previous one gets to round 25. I always keep them going. A uh, few listeners get to jump in there if they hit me up. So it's kind of we mix and match a uh, hodgepodge of that. But those are fun, and it is a good to kind of get the feel for things. But I don't know about you in the DCs, but in these best balls, because it's more of a point-based system, the pitching is like flying off the boards. And in the second uh, best ball, we were tweeting about it today, the third round had all but one pitcher go off the board. Um, there was, I think, 13 pitchers. No, no, it's like 16 through the first two rounds, like over 20 for the fast, first three rounds. And these are 12-team leagues. So things were jumping off the boards in this draft. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, similar taking place in mine. Um, yeah, right now, I mean, pitching went really quickly. We had one guy in the league, which actually looked like a lot what he did, but um, – he had three, he started three pitchers in a row. We had another guy in the league who started four pitchers in a row. Um, so push, pitching was just mashed up, you know? So it is going to be interesting. I mean, I think people realize, I don't think it's just a thing for right now. I mean, this is something that's going to be with us for the whole draft season, I think, because there is such a cliff for, for pitching, for reliable starting pitching, and it happens pretty early on. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's wild. We talked about it many times and many others have that it dries up quickly. And when you start, especially in these deeper, like you're doing the DCs, I'm doing the best balls, the later round pitching gets real fun, real fun. So uh, it'll make you really uh, think about fab pickups later in the season already, which is, do I really want to take this guy? Well, I own him on a DC. So there you go. Um, so that's always exciting stuff. But uh, we're here to talk third base. And we're going to use Draft Champions ADP from NFBC starting, I did the last month. So November 8th would be a month from today, uh, give or take. I've done 16 drafts over that time on NFBC ADP to the top 10 uh, third basemen. And the the first one, Toby, I'll, I'll be pretty honest. I think we're pretty unanimous on this. And we have an interesting question for the end of the podcast from the Draft Champions podcast about um, our buddy J-Ram. But I think you and I are both, we have been big J-Ram fans. Um, he did it again for us last season, just continuing to, to hit with power. And the, the big thing with him is the speed, of course. He's the first third baseman off the board, going around pick seven uh, overall. So are you good with that for J-Ram, or are you, are you thinking you need to take a shortstop right there? No, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Um, I think the fact that he plays third base is a huge bonus because – as we'll th- as we'll see as we go throughout the draft, I mean, getting you getting speed at third base is possible, but it, it's very difficult. And so, when you can get it from a position where you're not necessarily expecting a lot of stolen bases, it can be a um, it can be a boon. So he's definitely he would definitely if I was drafting a target in, uh, a hitter in the first round, I would not mind getting J Ram at all. I mean, I think what you're buying with J Ram is is the power speed combination, which is you know, absolutely elite. I mean, even when he had a quote unquote bad season in 2019 or what started out as a bad season, he put up 23 home runs and 24 stolen bases in 542 plate appearances. So, you know, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to get you 25, 25, 30, 25, whatever it is. And then he makes so much contact. It's really difficult for him to have a, a bad 
um, batting average. So in this two seasons where he had like a 250-ish Babbitt, you know, he put up batting averages of 270 and 255. So I think the batting average floor is very safe as well. And the only concern I have with J-Ram, which is one I have for pretty much all the Cleveland hitters, is, you know, when Lindor when Lindor leaves and then Santana's already gone, it becomes a pretty light lineup. You know, that may result in more stolen bases for him, though. And I'm, he'll still hit home runs. You know, he'll still get on base. So I'm not, I wouldn't, I w- it wouldn't impact me too much right now. But it is something that's kind of in the back of my head, but not having to do with his skill. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And before I go on to my thoughts on JRAM, I've been, uh, before this podcast was the first time I opened my computer since Sunday night, which has been kind of nice. But um, wow. I was busy doing other things. And so it's the first time I've seen Baseball Savant, and um, they've added a lot of cool stuff here. So <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. There's like expected home run pages. There's percentile rankings. There's year to year changes on, on, on like his exit velocities and everything else. Like this is wild. Um, the, the added features that baseball Savant has. So I just want to throw that out there for any of the listeners. Cause I reference Savant a lot. I know you reference Savant a lot and this is wild what they've, uh, they've done to this. So I'm a big fan of this. Like the things I was looking at as the normal contact rates while you're talking and it's interesting with J-Ram because he does make great contact, but it dropped a lot last year. He still made 87% zone contact. It's like 4% lower than last year, but that's still above average. It's still like That's what you were saying. He still makes quality contact, so the average is going to be good. But there's a reason why like the strikeout rate went up last year. His zone contact went down. His whiff rate went up. But he still made great you know, chase contacts. Uh, he still did good on everything else pretty much. But uh, it is interesting, this expected home runs metrics. Like I've seen – Max Freeze talk about his metric and some other guys. Well, now they actually have it here on Savant. And, you know, in 2019, the kind of weird year, he had uh, 23 actual home runs. His expected home runs was 23. Good. Um, his 2020 actual home runs, 17. Expected home runs, 16.6. So when guys are, like, looking at the the flukiness of what certain guys are doing, uh, at least his were, were there. And I love how even they tell you there's the doubters, the mostly gone, the no doubters. Um, that, that's really, he had a 59% no doubter rating on his home run. So that's, that's pretty cool stuff. I can't wait to dig in some more on some mm-hmm. of those, but, um, yeah, you, you nailed everything. So I'm just kind of blabbering about Savon at this point, but he's awesome. And the biggest reason I like him and I know you like him is he, he, he steals a ton of bags. He, uh, Steamer has him for 32 homers and 24 steals with a 275 average, a hundred runs and 98 RBIs. That's elite. That's outstanding. doesn't matter what position you're at. You put on top of it third base, a position how we were kind of talking before the show. Yes, it has some very good talented players, but the deep drafts we've been doing, we've seen like other positions you can find talent late. Third base dries up a lot quicker than other positions. It's one of those if you need to make sure you have like two or three guys at each position or whatever, you need to jump on third base maybe a little faster than else. And so having a guy like J Ram is tremendous. So yeah, I'm all about it. I know you're a fan of uh, Ramirez, so something that we'll, we'll both be looking to target maybe at the back end of round one, right about now in a 15 team where you might take them in the middle of round one, which yeah. makes things kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's talk about the second, third baseman off the board. This is a guy that was, I don't even know if he was top 10 last year by the end of draft season. I know I was anti Manny Machado last year. Didn't work out so well. I was <laughs> anti a lot of the Padres last year uh, and it didn't work out so well. He's going as the 23rd player off the board, the second third baseman. 
I know I've changed my tune by digging in on him this year, and I have him as my second, third baseman in drafts. And now there's people all of a sudden saying Manny Machado is not worth it. This is like there's something about Manny Machado people just hate to hate. I guess I don't know, but it's wild. Love What's your thoughts hate. on Machado? Yeah, love to hate. That's what it is. they love to hate him because somehow, some way, you either when he when he's undervalued, people love him. When he might be appropriately valued or maybe slightly higher valued, people hate him. What do you think about Manny Machado going at this point in the draft? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can get into him going where he's going right now. I mean, 22 is all right. I mean, I think it's a very, you know, and I was off of him last year. I think it's a very, um, it's very, it's fine. He's fine. Um, I, I just think, I don't know. I think, I mean, he's a really good player. I think the stolen bases always fluctuate dramatically from year to year with him, you know? And so, and I don't necessarily think, the batting average, you know, 259, 297, 256, 304, you know, 274 uh, steamer projection for the batting average. I don't love it, you know, necessarily. So I probably won't be going after him, but I also have him as the 20th most valuable player, you know, you know, and, and so I think he's, it's fine. Um, I probably won't own him, but I don't know if I have a good explanation for why. So maybe I need to, Maybe I need to check in with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just maybe that the other players going around where he's going, um, I would favor a little bit more, maybe a little bit more upside, but certainly Machado's stability and, you know, he plays consistently, never really gotten injured too badly um, since early on in his career. So I think it's a fine, I think it's a fine pick. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I am. I guess the biggest reason I might not have a lot of Machado shares would be where he's going and who's going around him. Like you're saying, that that's the hardest part. Pick 23, you're talking maybe your first pitcher off the board, uh, other potential bats in that range. That's a tricky part because I do like Machado a lot. And the biggest thing is if he keeps stealing. And I think what we saw last year, six steals, you know, Steamer's got him for nine, Depth Chart has him for 10. So if you have potential for 35 and 10 with a decent average and good counting stats, I'm on board there for the fact that, I believe the Padres want to run. We've seen Grisham run. We see Datis run. Machado's running uh, last year. There's more guys on that. Fam runs like they're gonna run. Even Hosmer gets a few bags. Like so, that's something that in their DNA in San Diego. Maybe contrary to when he was in Baltimore, or he was getting hurt a lot at, at certain parts in Baltimore, so he slowed down his running. That was always the, the bugaboo with Machado. Is he gonna run or not? If he doesn't run, he, really, you could get a replacement in certain categories a lot of a lot of times. But if he's running, tremendous. And then we look at his like savant, his his barrel rates, his hard hit rates, all those kind of numbers. They resemble more like the 2017, 2018 Machado. That was that was a very strong, powerful, productive offensive force. Like how we were drafting early in fantasy drafts. Uh, he even lowered his strikeout rate by almost five percent last year, while upping his walk rate a little more. Which he's a massive OBP uh, presence for you as well. So there's a lot to like about him. And the last part I'll mention is he lowered his ground ball rate over 4% last year. And if he continues to do that, that's going to be next to elite also. So I'm buying in. You put him in that lineup with Tatis and Grisham, like I said, Fam, Hosmer and company. That's a very, very good young lineup right now. And I, I can buy in on it. It's just, is he someone you want to take at that point in the draft? That's the biggest question because he, he's worth it, in my opinion, for what he brings to the table. It's, can do you like your roster construction around it? And maybe it comes back to what we talked about last week 
where maybe you sit down and you plan your draft out. Okay, if I take Machado here, how's the rest of my my draft look? And maybe it looks better than you think it does. I don't know, but that might be it something to awful, consider. Bubba. The draft looks <laughs> awful. I just did it in my head. It looks terrible. Do not do it. <laughs> do not do it. Do not do that. You, you heard it first, folks, from Toby. You heard it first. But um, let's go to the third third base. And we've talked about every week because he has first base, second base, third base eligibility. So I guess we didn't talk about him last week, but we probably did some way or another. That's DJ LeMayhew. He's now going to pick 31. It feels like he's dropping a little bit, but not a lot. So still going too early for me. Any thoughts on DJ we've talked about a few times? You know, DJ at third base, I really love him at his value right here. You know, I really want to invest heavily in DJ LeMahieu at third base. Not at first or second, but here at third base. Really want to go in hard. No, we've talked about DJ. He's still got a little ways to fall before he interests me. Um, I just think that, again, you know, if he if he signs again with the Yankees, you know, then we're getting closer, I think, to maybe what I'd be willing you know, to, um, to pay cost wise, but, uh, at this point in time, he's still not there quite yet. Yeah. It, it's odd with DJ with that price tag, especially not knowing where he's playing. I just, I don't quite understand what we got going on there, but that's the common theme. We talked DJ LeMayhew, the four third baseman off the board at pick 37 right now, Nolan Arenado, the guy that used to be the first or second third baseman off the board falling big time. He fell a little bit last year. Now he's fallen a lot more this year. Some people think it's not far enough because last year's season was really rough for Nolan Arenado standards. 253 with a 241 BABIP, which is insanely low for Arenado. Eight home runs, no stolen base. It's not a big steal guy, but only eight homers. That gets you to think a little bit. Um, you know, his, his hard hit rate dropped. His barrel rate dropped to 5.4%, the lowest of his career. This past year, hard hit at 33.7%. A lot of things dropped. Strikeout rate was much better. It was kind of a yin and a yang. Like his contact skills looked better. His overall production struggled tremendously. What's your thoughts on aeronautics? It's like Coors Field's Coors Field, but if he's not hitting, it doesn't matter, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's that's going to be one of the key thing to monitor, right, is is if he leaves Coors. I don't think he's awful if he leaves Coors, but I do think that there's definitely a hit that he takes. A lot of it depends on whether you think, you know, he dealt with a shoulder injury last year. So how much did that impact what he was able to do? You mentioned the low BABIP. If you look at his batted ball profile, you know, his line drives were lower, but we know that those have the highest variance. The ground ball rate was pretty similar. So if some of those fly balls, you know, 3% of those fly balls transfer into line drives, you know, then you see the BABIP increasing a little bit. Um, You see that batting average going up. So I think that this is this is a much more comfortable type of price for me for Arenado. I've always been hesitant, you know, going around the turn. And, and obviously, I think I've been wrong in a lot of instances in saying that because he's provided that type of um, consistent production. So again, there's there's more risk, I think, than usual with him because of the possibility of him getting traded. Um, at the same time, you know, I feel like this is um, this is a pretty nice spot if you expect that that he's the same guy he was before 2020 and that it was the shoulder injury. There's definitely the possibility for some value um, from him. And so, yeah, it's, it's fine. The lack of speed is always an issue, but I I think, I think it's fine. It's uninspiring. I guess that him and Machado for me are, are uninspiring picks, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad picks. They are probably just picks that um, I won't make. Yeah, Arenado's a really hard one for me to circle. Big reason is the uncertainty of where he's going to be. The other big reason is the stolen bases. Like like I've said many times on the show, you're 
a believer in it as well. You kind of want guys that help you most places. Like Nelson Cruz is one of the few guys I will take that doesn't offer steals, and that's because I've built steals somewhere else. Like I took a Mondesi or I took a Trey Turner or a Tatis or someone I know is going to get me 20-plus stolen bases. Like that's hopefully 30-plus stolen bases. That's when I'll go after a Cruz, and then I'll have to focus more on getting guys that give me, you know, 10-plus, maybe 5 to 10 here, like, consistently on my roster from there on out. So Arenado hurts in a big way there. And that, that's the biggest problem for me where he's going to the draft's interesting. And especially when the next guy, the fifth third baseman off the board, is going to pick 43 picks later. And that's Alex Bregman, a guy that's two years for, removed from a 296, 41, and 5. The counting stats are through the roof. Before that, 286, 31, and 10. Counting stats through the roof again. Doesn't strike out a lot. Nice walk rate. So OBP skills are great. Uh, last year, had a 254 Babbitt to go with a 242 average, six home runs. Now, if you believe in Steamer, 278, 32, and 5, counting stats are strong. Very close resemblance to Steamer's projections of Manny Machado. And you're getting them like 18 picks later. So it's one of those decisions. Do you believe in what Bregman, you know, was just a bad season? The Astros had a lot going on their heads. There's no fans, sure. But things are kind of wishy-washy and Bregman might come back. Like we talked about with Altuve and you get a discount now, or are you concerned with Alex Bregman? I'm not really concerned with him. I think he falls in the Arenado-Machado range. I think what you described, like, the projection is fairly similar, and I think it's a good, you know, so it's like Machado, because he has more speed than those guys, even though the projection is fairly similar, he's, for instance, like my 20th highest-rated player, right? And he's going at pick 22, so, you know, solid. Arenado, 28th most valuable going at pick 36. So a little bit more value there. Bregman is the 29th most valuable player going 44th, right? So you're getting a little bit more, more value with Bregman, but it's all kind of a toss-up, right? It's all, they're all pretty much worth, you know, what they're, what they're going for. Bregman doesn't have the stolen bases, you know, similar to Arenado, but he does add them slightly but he doesn't have the same type of ceiling, I think, with his batting average that Arenado necessarily does. So I think that they're all very similar in that they're safe picks, uh, really good plate discipline on all of them. I mean, Bregman obviously is is one of the better players in the league, higher walk rate than strikeout rate, all that good jazz, but maybe the batted ball quality um, isn't quite there, um, you know, the same way that maybe for a Machado it is. So, you know, if I were to rank them in terms of like where – in a vacuum, I think it's Machado, Bregman, Arenado for me. Mm-hmm. In a non-vacuum, I think it's, you know, so I don't know what a non-vacuum is. Is like maybe it's just <laughs> Earth. But um, uh, it would be, you know, from a value perspective, I think it would be Bregman, Machado, Arenado, probably. I think Arenado, thinking it through a little bit, would probably be the last guy that I want to take of this, of this group of three. Um, but... You know, again, I think they're all solid, solid picks. It's just really, like you mentioned before, a roster construction question of 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 your speed um, and where you're gonna where you're gonna snag that. Yeah, no, and I, I don't disagree with that. I go Machado, Bregman, Arenado, like you you first said, and it's kind of picking at straws because Bregman could come back. You know, there's always the talk, and this is even before the Savant's cool edition of expected homers that Bregman's very, very fortunate to play in Houston, that stadium. If you look at the, the 41 home run season, it's pretty funny. There was about uh, I think 12. That they, they, or there was 20 doubter home runs out of his 41. Almost half of his home runs, there was question marks of would they be gone in a lot of stadiums. So um, that that's very interesting to me 
on who uh, Bregman really is. But hey, he knows how to pull the ball and pull it with authority. Like yeah. that, there, there's something to be said about that. I'm not going to knock that at all. So, and yeah, if you do that, that goes out in a lot of ballparks if you pull the ball well. So totally. And I, I think that's worth highlighting is what you just said. Like, like he, he is one of the very few players and actually Arenado is as well, where they, every single season, they're among the league leaders in pulled fly balls. Like mm-hmm. there's been, I think it was Alex Chamberlain did research on it that, you know, it's, it's not predictive year to year pulling the percentage of pulled fly balls that you have. You know, and so a lot of times maybe the variance in home run totals can be attributed to that. But guys like Bregman and like Arenado are particularly good at pulling the ball in the air. And so that's where the home runs are coming from. So everybody always says, well, the expected home runs and stuff like, you know, and all that stuff. But to your point, he does that consistently. He's one of the few guys who does that. And I actually think that, you know, I think it's it's important to note that just because I think we can get caught up in these like expected home runs or, you know, the fact he doesn't hit barrels, but the dude has, you know, in every full season, he's averaging 35 home runs in his last two full seasons, like 1400 plate appearances. Like, come on, it's, this is the, who the dude is. So um, I know you, you know, yeah, just, I think, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good, but it's a good conversation because a lot of people will look at that. Like I'm, I'm talking about how cool these new things are, but Yes, you also have to look at the whole picture of the situation. So that's why I, I highlighted it because people will see that and they'll be like, "Oh, see, look." And then, but no, there's there's much more to it than just that. Um, so yeah, Bregman's interesting. We'll see where that goes. But the next guy coming off the board, I'll stick with the list I made this morning because since ten o'clock this morning, apparently another another draft finished and this switched Ooh. a little switched a little bit. But this morning when I did this, it's number six with Roth was Raphael Devers. Um, he's now number seven by, by half a draft slot, basically. He's going around pick 44. Um, and I'm a big Devers fan. I know you're a big Devers fan. I think this is a good value because I just mentioned the steamer projections on those previous guys. Well, 288, 35, 7, good counting stats. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Yes. So he's a lot of these third basemen are rating out pretty similar. It's the old theory. If they're all about the same, why don't you take the best value and just hope no one else beats you to it type thing? Um, I, I've always loved Devers' speed. I think it's undervalued. Last year had a little bit of a down season. Strikeout rate rose back up quite a bit last year, but there's still a ton to like about him. He hits the ball so hard. I remember I've mentioned it many times on my show that I, I interviewed Ralph Lifshitz uh, on an episode, and he's been he's seen Devers throughout the minors up in where he lives. And he said he's never seen a guy hit a ball so hard in person. Like he just, it's ridiculous how well he can hit a baseball. Last year, twelve percent barrel rate. You see these things with Devers. I think he's just, he's just ticking the iceberg. He's twenty four years old for crying out loud. Like he's very, very good. Always starts out slow. So be cautious on that. That's what he does. But he puts it together. Hopefully, get a long enough season. What's your thoughts on Devers? I know you've been a. a I think you got him at least one draft so far. Yeah, I've got him in one of my two DCs so far. Um, yeah, I love it. I mean, you you mentioned it. It's all about value. So Devers, you know, according to my um, spreadsheet, 19th most valuable player. So one slot above Machado, but going 24 picks later, right, at an ADP mm-hmm. around around 46. It's probably gone up. I think he's going to go up. Like in my draft, he actually went um, uh, at pick like 31, I want to say. So I think he's... I think he's going to, there's going to be kind of a, a drum beat for him to move up there. I just think he's a really good hitter. There was obviously some skill regression, I think, with, um, 
with him in, in, in some areas, you know, um, the contact rate was way down. He was chasing more pitches outside the zone, but it's like you said, he started off very slow, but what's, what's remarkable about him, right. About him, right. Is, is everybody thinks I ah, had an awful season and he certainly didn't have the season that we expected. No stolen bases. He still put up 43 RBI, 32 runs, 11 home runs, 263 batting average, you know, in the, um, uh, in the month, in the second month of the season, you know, he had a 137 um, WRC plus, you know, a 258 ISO. Um, so again, um, I think, I think one of the things that I'm trying to do in terms of improving my game a little bit is I think sometimes early on in drafts, I'm, and, and I'm doing it again, right. With my explanations, but I'm hyper-focused on batting average and speed for sure. And if I look back at a lot of my drafts, I oftentimes miss on like my third or fourth round hitters. And part of it is just like, you know, part of it is like just recognizing good hitters. And so maybe it is that I do need to take more Bregmans. Maybe it is that I have to take more, you know, I don't know about Arenados, but like, you know, more of these kind of boring, just really good hitter picks. And I think with, um, with Devers, I just think he's a really good hitter. He's still what, 24 yep. He's young. You mentioned that the, the, the hard hit, right. Ability. 116.7 mile per hour max exit below. He had his highest exit velo- average exit velocity. He has his hard, hard, highest barrel rate last year as well, right? Again, more small sample size. But in all these struggles, he still is an immensely good hitter. And I think over the course of a long season, that's going to that's gonna bear itself out. You know, the Red Sox are still a decent lineup, you know, at least at the top of the lineup where he's going to be hitting. And so, you know, I think it's a, I think this is a great pick or, I mean, I really like the pick a lot right here because of the value that you mentioned. And because I just think that Devers is a really good hitter that also has that higher ceiling because of his age, um, you know, and because of those just kind of things that you can't teach like Max Exit Velo. So I, I do like um, I do like Devers here as if you can get him in the – snag him in the fourth round. I think that's a really good value. Yeah, big value. He also saw his contact rate drop tremendously this last year, which led to the, the strikeout rate increase. So – uh, just little bounce back type things. And I, I think we'll be fine again, short season. He usually starts out slow, like I mentioned. So um, I, I think a lot of that would have kind of evened out as the season went on. And the, the Red Sox are obviously a bad baseball team right now, but you still have Verdugo and Bogarts and JD who finished the year strong. And there's still guys around him that is going to make that offense interesting. It's just their pitching stats horrific. That's their biggest problem. They're going to have to be a slow pitch softball team like the Brewers and score 15 runs to win a lot of games. And that's just the the shorts of it. And if that happens, Devers will have a huge season. So enjoy that while you can. If it was EFS football, I mean, we'd be stacking them big time. You know, I, just I played, up and down the field, up and down the uh, field. I played Devers so much in DFS last year, it wasn't even funny. Because he was always underpriced, especially on – I don't play FanDuel a lot, but I was doing a show where we did FanDuel and uh, DraftKings analysis. And FanDuel had him, like, so cheap it was dumb every day. Every day. Yeah. He was playing every day. It was, it was funny. But um, let's go to the seventh or the seventh shortstop, uh, third baseman off the board. Anthony Rendon, last year's first season with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, going around pick 44, just like Devers. They're basically flip flopping each other these days. Um, not the best of seasons for Rendon, but still hit 286. We know he's a good average guy, over 300 of the three previous seasons before last year. 
He walks a ton. His walk rate went up to 16.4%, the best of his career. Strikeout rate basically the same it's been since 2017. So he's an OBP machine, an OBP over 400 in three of the last four seasons. Still hit nine home runs, didn't steal any bags. Overall, I think it was a, it was a good season because he started the year on the IL. He was hurt coming into the season. So how healthy was he? When was he finally healthy type questions come into play with Anthony Rendon? And that, that could um, obviously showcase, you know, 6.3% barrel rate. Worst he's had uh, since like 2016, 2017 is his hard hit rate dropped a little bit. Little minor things like that that I'm not worried about. Like this is a guy we were taking very early in drafts last year, and now you're getting him in pick 44, like you mentioned, the end of round three or maybe in round four. He leaves a lot of upside for you. And again, kind of boring for some, kind of a Bregman type where his average is just so great. Power won't be there, of course, but they got him for 27 homers. He's hit 24 or more in three straight years before last year. I like Bregman a lot. That offense is getting better in Anaheim, too. Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, on Rendon going into 2021? Yeah, you know, Rendon hasn't really been on my on my radar too much um, early this year, but that's probably a mistake. I mean, I think this he's just a really good example of, you know, why it's good not to buy into career years, right? Like, I think that that happens very often to us um, where, you know, you see, you see a guy have a career year and obviously, and the numbers support it, right? And so our assumption is that, oh, well, this, this type of production is going to continue. But oftentimes when you have those career years, you know, especially when you're older, they're the result of either luck going your way or just things, things kind of, you know, being generally positive for them in a, in a given season. So Rendon struggled with the injury at the beginning of last year. Maybe that's why he didn't steal any bases um, at all. You know, the speed is lacking, but talk about a professional hitter. I mean, you know, um, he's that guy. So again, similar profile to your, to the, a lot of the guys that we've covered right early on in third base, but again, going later on in a draft. So maybe it's that, maybe you take the higher upside guy in round two, right. Um, you know, instead of getting Machado, but then, you know, you know, a couple rounds later, you have the opportunity to go after a Rendon or, um, a Devers, you know, uh, to kind of fill that more solid, um, you know, uh, type of hitter, you know, where you feel like, where you feel like you're going to get relatively stable production from them, regardless of what happens. So, you know, interesting things in, in third baseland, you know, I haven't given a lot of thought to Rendon, um, this year, but, um, I think that, you know, where he's going right now is similar to where he went the year that he did have his career year. You know, he went, I think in the early fifties. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him too. I think there's still going to be some fluctuation within these hitters because there's kind of this, there's actually, I don't know, in my draft so far, it's around this point. Maybe it's closer to like pick 50 or so where the hitters are just kind of blah. like they all have things that are wrong with them or they're all 2020 small sample guys or, you know, stuff like that. So it's just going to be interesting to see how these guys shift around, but certainly Rendon, you know, very solid, um, but not, not a huge value where he's going still. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You mentioned that because it's, you get to that point in the draft early and you're sitting there going, I should have guys circled here, but there's about 12 different guys I can make arguments for. And you're hoping you make the right choice basically. Like, do I want to go to this position or this position? And it's like a lot of 2020 breakouts or maybe guys had a rough year and they fell a little bit. Do I take my chance on them? 
stuff along those lines. That's why Rendon kind of stands out as um, one of the last third base was I got one more coming up here. I really like, but uh, you know, he's going around pick 44, 45. And then you have Kevin Biggio at 55 and then just drops off for like 30 picks. So the eighth third baseman off the board is Kevin Biggio. We talked about him on the second base podcast because he's second base, third base and outfield eligible. So we don't have to go too deep into him here, but you know, you're going to get a little speed. You're going to get some power. Not a big average guy. Good for OBP. I don't, I don't know, Toby. I just can't wrap my head around why he's going so early in drafts. I, I just can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about this before. I can't, I can't really see it either. Mostly because of the batting average and the lack of, you know, at least what I see as, um, you know, I, I think like just a power upside and batted ball quality upside. So I don't really see it just because I think there are similar profiles that can go. It, it's not going to be a horrible pick, I think, because he, he can hit for some power and he can steal some bases and he's theoretically going to be at the top of that lineup, at least for, for most of the time. But I do think the batting average is going to be, has a very low floor. So if you're playing in overall competitions, I think he is a, he's, he is a huge risk to take at this point of time in the, in the draft. Um, so I'd be shying away, you know, again, the, the position eligibility gives him a little bit more value. He's more valuable, I think at third base than at second base because of the speed, but I'm still um, staying away from him. Yeah, no doubt about it. The ninth third baseman off the board is a player I have circled in a lot of places. I really want to, if I don't jump on a third baseman early, which I have not been doing yet, I am circling Juan Moncada, and I have him in all three drafts I've done so far. Like, this is a guy I want to leave third mm. base with. People might think I'm crazy. I get it. I'm notching last season up to COVID. He flat out said his body, like, it was hard for him to get up to play games every day. Like, it, he was had lingering effects from having COVID-19. So I, I will take that into consideration because going into the season, when we were talking in February, he was healthy, he was mashing, he was talking about how he wanted to run more, he was running more in spring training, all the things you wanted to see, and then everything happened. And I think that was a massive hit on him. He saw his barrel rate drop to 6.2%. His um, hard hit rate dropped to 33%. Strikeout rate rose. Walk rate rose quite a bit as well for him. But, you know, he hit 225 a lot of question marks with the overall production uh, with Yohan Moncada. No stolen bases, six home runs, 315 BABIP. He's usually a much higher BABIP guy because he usually hits the ball so hard. Did not do it this past season. Um, I'm going to really notch it up to COVID and say, unless I see something crazy in spring training, which might be too late because I have too many shares of him already. Ah. But um, I, I'm really in on Moncada. I think this is a value for a guy like Yohan Moncada. Um, Steamer has him. For twenty four and seven with a two fifty three, I think he's more like a. I might be crazy. People might say I'm crazy because he's never done it in the bigs. Let me click his minor league numbers. He did it in the minor leagues though. I think he's more of a fifteen plus steals guys, especially if he wants to. Tim Anderson runs on that team. It'll be it's usually Anderson, Moncada, maybe Lou Bob, but he's batting towards the bottom. And then you have the big guys in the middle. So I think they'll put him on. They'll let him steal bases. Set the table for the big guys. I like Moncada a lot this year, especially if you don't get one of the early guys and you get him at pick 85, 30 picks after Biggio, like 40 picks after Rendon Endeavors. We're talking two to three rounds later, a Moncada type that could potentially hit a ceiling, which will like put him into the second and third round conversation where those guys are being drafted. I love Moncada. I'm probably crazy. So what's your thoughts on Moncada? No, I don't think you are. I mean, I think, I think, 
I loved Moncada going into last year, and I do think COVID is to blame for a lot of the things that happen. I don't think I'm as high on you in terms of the stolen base upside, but I think where I would disagree with the projection maybe is with the um, the average. Is with the batting average, I do. It's think more like a two seventy five, two eighty, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the batted ball quality has always been so good. You know, mm-hmm. a three sixty two BABIP. He's twenty five. I mean, that's one of the things that we yep. that we forget. I think, and you can see just you know his exit velocity dipping by almost by over five miles per hour. His max exit velocity down by nearly six miles per hour. You know, his barrel rate down considerably. All of all of those batted ball quality metrics are down, and he's 25. So there's no real good reason outside of health for why that would happen. Like he didn't just a 25 year old superstar didn't just forget how to hit the baseball, you know, and steal bases. So you know, and it was interesting because in the interview that you mentioned, he said that he was really focused on his stolen bases. He'd actually really worked out his legs you know, looking at heading into the season and he was, he was going to try to steal more bases and that they were just, you know, like, like you pointed out, like that they were just, they were just felt dead, you know? And so um, I really do think it's a really good opportunity here. I've missed out on him in my, in my two early drafts, but I do anticipate, um, you know, that, that I'll have him in a, in a considerable amount of drafts if he continues going where he's going right now because i think he there's there's only a couple a few guys in here that i really like and i don't like to get deep into third base um so yeah i i i think you're right on i don't i don't disagree um with the mancata love and i think there's a lot of room for you know to you know like you said for him to generate like second third round value especially in that lineup i mean yeah, if they bat him second or first whatever him and tim anderson at the top be just overall, maybe not RBIs, but runs, stolen bases, like just that stuff is going to be through the roof, I think, in that, in that lineup. So I love it. I love it a lot. I've actually literally in the last best ball I'm doing right now, the second one, I just went – I have the fourth pick. So coming back on round is like six maybe. So coming back through six, I took Moncada in six, and then I took Tim Anderson in seven, like bang, bang. So I just I love that upside on that line, especially in a points league. They could produce a ton of points. So what about Adam Eaton? Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll seriously. I mean, what do you what do you I, I love the move. Um I'm hoping they don't just say, hey, he's a he's a, a slappy little power. He has he has some. I'm not disagreeing with like a little power guy. I hope they like bat him ninth. Like be the wraparound guy. Yeah. Um, but like put like There's Madrigal eighth. Madrigal's yeah. he's not leading off, I know that much. Um, but just don't, don't just plug Eaton at the top because that's what Eaton used to do. Even though that's something Tony LaRusso would do in two seconds and screw this whole thing. thing, Right. Yep. You'd screw it it up so fast. (laughs) I mean, I can see an argument for Eaton if he continues his OBP ways to be top of the lineup ahead of Tim Anderson, right? Because of the way he hits. And so let's just say for argument's sake that Eaton goes one, Anderson goes two. I think that makes a lot of sense. Three is Abreu. Four is four is. Right here, I mean, it should be Eloy in my mind. But roster roster resource has Anderson, Eaton second, Grandal, Abreu, Eloy, Mancada sixth. Yeah, yeah. So that that could happen, but I don't think that that necessarily 
stays around for a while. I think Mankata, I mean, that's that lineup is going to be so deep because you got Lubov still. Yeah. I don't even know if you've mentioned Eloy in there. Was he batting fifth? He was like, batting fifth right in front of Mankata. Fifth. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's going to be such a potent lineup, but it also makes you just wonder like if they, ha- if they, you know, and I, I hear that they're still in for Brantley. And so it, you know, which, you know, you could see them, the financial sense of making these shorter term commitments to players because, you know, theoretically some of these younger guys are going to be getting into their, the time when you need to extend them or, or whatnot. But, um, and they're supposed to be still in for Brantley maybe, but um, man, I mean, Springer in that lineup would have been, would have been juicy, man. Leading off with that OBP, with that pop, no breaks, you know, no breaks. Springer, Anderson. I don't know why they have. I don't. I mean, I love Yasmani Grandal. I'll probably have a bunch of shares like. I think he's batting six. But or why seven. is he batting third? Yeah, like why out of all the guys is 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 he there? Like he's a perfect five six hitter. Why is Eloy Jimenez batting fifth? Like, yeah. please explain to me, like why. Eloy Jimenez is not a cleanup hitter in Major League Baseball. Like, ah, uh, he's being drafted like he's once. I hope that, he's being drafted oh. like he's once. I hope it happens. Talk about a good hitter. I mean, he's just gonna mash. He's young, and you look at his ground ball rate. If he could ever increase that ground or decrease that ground ball rate, right? Mm-hmm. One of these years, it's just gonna happen just by sheer variance. Mm-hmm. He's gonna. He's just going to mash, dude. It's going to be scary. Uh, so I, I want to reiterate, I'm not downplaying the Eaton move. I think it's a really good move for them, especially in baseball terms. I think it's a great move for them. Um, I'm just, I, I really want to see how LaRusso screws it up, basically. Yeah. That, that's what I'm waiting for. Because batting second, like from the LBP standpoint, okay, it makes sense. But we've seen him go through funks. And if he's going through too many funks in that lineup, wasting the potential of that lineup, it's terrifying. Yeah. So, no, I mean, it's, but it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's the total old school. It's the way to do it. Yeah. Like, like, just like we have our closer comes in the night, no matter what, that's our guy. Like, it's is what worries me so much, you know, yeah. is like, ah, uh, just Larusa. I don't understand why the White Sox did this. Like, they make the Lance Lynn move too. Yep. There's so many reasons to love everything about what they're doing. Why did they have to make the person running it such. Just I guess not, the only the only caveat is they're trying to bring in young assistants around him. So yeah. I'm hoping I'm hoping there's something to that. That's all I'm hoping for. Yeah, and I mean I'm, I'm probably a little bit too caught up in just the, you know, he's just so. I mean, I don't want to be ageist or anything, but he's just so old mm-hmm. and like and just having like the game old so white dude is like the the yeah. front of that team just seems not the way to go. No, like I, I think I said it when it happened, you have so many young Latin players, like you need, like these are guys like to bat flip that like to do like none of it screams Tony LaRusso. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's so much positive energy on that yeah. team. And, and then there's like LaRusso. Get off my lawn. I mentioned the off the field <laughs> stuff, you know, which oh yeah, I didn't even Jeez. know about like when, when I first didn't like the move, but you know, it's just, Anyways, we'll move on to our third base preview. I just wanted to talk about that because I thought yeah. that was a super interesting move. And it could um, have ramifications too. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, he, and Eaton. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't know where to, to do with his value, right? Because if he's like eighth or ninth, then eh. 
But if he's, I mean, if he's batting first or second, like you're talking about a guy who can lead the league in runs if he's if he's healthy, you know. So well, and right now he's going to pick three ninety. So why not take a chance on that? Yeah. That ADP is going to bump up. Oh, big time. Big time. There's no doubt about it. All right, the 10th third baseman off the board, wrapping up our top 10 here. He's going around pick 88 right now. That's Eugenio Suarez, the guy that was entering last season with a shoulder injury. Then COVID hit to let him get healthy for the start of the season. And he kind of picked up where he left off. You know, not a guy that's going to hit for a high average. He managed to, uh, to hit 202 last year, usually a little higher than that, let's be honest. 214 yeah. Babbitt, insanely low. He's usually 3 310 plus, uh, give or take, in the Babbitt world. So usually gets you about 260 to 270. Still got you 15 homers. He'll slipe you a couple bags. Steamer's got him for 240, 35, and three steals if you want to go there. But um, the things you look at, you get nervous with a shoulder injury 14.4% barrel rate, best of his career. 44.7% hard hit rate, second best of his career. Like the things you want to see power-wise were still there, just the overall contact skills, the overall actually hitting the baseball, really, really struggled this past season. So what's your thoughts on Suarez, a guy that I know we've been fans of in the past. I don't expect the average to be that bad, so I don't mind taking a chance on him if you need it. But I think if you're just going for the power upside, you can get that somewhere else in your draft. So what's your thoughts on Suarez? Yeah, I think you I think you nailed it. I mean, the batting average is super low, but so is the BABIP. Again, you look at kind of batted ball profile, over 3% decrease in line drives. Again, a lot of variance. You would have thought maybe his infield fly ball rate skyrocketed. It didn't. So he was probably just hitting fly balls that weren't, you know, that, that didn't have what they needed to get out. But I think that that's something where the batting average comes back. The power is certainly there. You mentioned the barrel rate being the highest of his career, actually. You know, max exit velo and exit velo around where they've been, at least in 2019. So I still think you're looking at a at a middle-of-the-order masher, you know, who's going to hit a ton of home runs in that ballpark. And, um, you know, the batting average, I think, is the major question because we used to be able to rely on that 270-280 strikeout rate increasing contact rate decreasing a little bit how much was the shoulder you know so um so i think solid i think he's totally solid like prototypical third base profile tons of tons rbi too um he should get so i think he's fine going where he's going right now um and you know there's there's a pretty decent ceiling there if he can get that batting average back to where it has been yeah, if he can get you 260 plus with all that power, he'll probably steal you five plus bags. Like that, that's a very good player. Like a very good player. And he's still gonna be playing in Cincinnati. We know the ball flies out of there. That's gonna be a plus as well. So it's not a, a dig on him because I like I definitely don't think he's hitting 202, but where's he gonna go? Basically, is the question. There's guys ahead of him if you want to take a few picks earlier. There's some guys afterwards that might have a similar upside or maybe better upside in certain spots based on roster construction because by around pick 90, you should have an idea of kind of where your roster is going, what you already need to kind of work on. Like, Obviously, there's many more to go, but you have an idea like, hey, I'm kind of already getting short here. I'm kind of getting short here. We need to kind of adjust, and Suarez might not fit that mold. So that's something to keep in mind as well. All right, outside the top 10, 11 through 20, we got Jeff McNeil, Max Muncie, Alec Baum, Matt Chapman, Cabrian Hayes, Tommy Edmond, Chris Bryant, Gio Urshela, Andres Jimenez is flying up boards 
with the uh, the since the Robin Cano stuff, uh, and Gene Segura, who I still don't think is getting enough respect. But uh, talked about him at second base, so I won't talk about him tonight. But uh, we'll give you two each from this eleven through twenty range that we have our eye on. What's your first one? Yeah, I'm going to go with Jeff McNeil. Uh, I just drafted him in my last uh, draft. I just think where he's going, you know, between pick ninety and one ten, the batting average is is there. You know, he's got two partial seasons, one full season. His career average is three nineteen. You know, so that's that's going to be huge. Um, I think he's got sufficient power, right? I think he's got he showed the twenty home run power um, before, and I think that it's in there. Um, just because I think the bat to ball skills that he has, um, you know, I think those play in well to those types of pulled home runs where you don't necessarily need the power, but you get the bat hat, the bat head out in front and you're able to pull that down the line a little bit of speed. And I think he should contribute in both runs and RBI. My one concern with him is where he ends up in the batting lot in the order. I think he's either sixth or seventh right now, maybe seventh. So that'll cut in a little bit to the plate appearances, maybe boost the RBI a little bit, hurt the runs. Um, but, you know, he, he's really, really good. So I think it's going to be hard for them. Like if you, you know, obviously Brandon Nimmo is a great, you know, OBP guy. But if if McNeil starts out well I and he gets to the top of that lineup, which I think is going to be a really good lineup, I think that there is going to be um, ample opportunity for him to, um, to get at the value that he wants. And I think one thing that's to note is I have him worth about what he is going for, um, you know, based on his projection, but his projections also for a 286 batting average. And I mean, he's never hit lower than um, 311, I think in, in any major league season. So I think they're undercounting that batting average pretty significantly there, which would boost his value even more. So again, you know, if you don't get DJ LeMahieu, another guy with multi-position eligibility, high batting average, not going to provide probably um, the counting stats that DJ LeMahieu will, but certainly has the potential to do that if he gets to the top of the lineup. So uh, I like I like McNeil uh, a lot um, uh, heading into this year, and I'm sure I'll have a decent number of share, shares of him next year. Yep, he's one of those kind of boring guys like we talked about earlier, but gets the job done. Is no denying that uh, my first guy, and it's getting harder and harder to actually draft him because yeah. his ADP is up to 127. He's gone as high as 105, and that's Cabrian Hayes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I started digging in on him more and more after I talked to James Anderson about a month ago about uh, a lot of first-year players or potential call-ups for next season to target in these early drafts, and he's in love with Cabrian Hayes. We're going to talk about Alec Baum later, but uh, he prefers Hayes over Baum in a heartbeat. And he was very, very adamant about that. And what we saw last year from Hayes hitting 375, yeah, okay, that's not going to probably happen again. He's been a career like 270 to 290 type guy in the minors, which I will take right now. Steamer has it for 284. Um, his his BABIP was 450 last year. That's not realistic. I get all that. But his ex batting average is still 300. That's still pretty darn good in my opinion. He had five home runs, one stolen base. What he did in the minors, though, 12 stolen bases, in, or 13 in 2019, 12, 27, and then six. So he steals bags. He's got some pop. He hits for average. He's going to help you in all five categories. Steamer's got him for 284, 18, and nine. Um, he's on a Pirates team that's not great. That does stink. But um, even in the minors, very good hard hit rate, good barrel rates. Last year, 9.2% barrel rate, 55% hard hit rate. Probably not sustainable, but 
you probably good for a 40 to 45%, which is still very, very good. What I love to see was for a rookie getting his first call up in the bigs and seeing a decent amount of, of at-bats where pitchers could try to make adjustments on him, his zone contact was 93.7%. That is outstanding from a young player. And that's one thing James hit on is his plate skills are ahead of a lot of players at his age. And when you look at that contact rate, that stands out in a big way to me. Like his zone swing, 63.4%. That's less than league average, but he still makes 93.7% contact. His ground ball rate's 47, almost 48%. Fly ball rate's 15%. Hey, that could tweak a little bit. Maybe a little more fly ball, less ground ball. That could help a lot as well. So there's still a lot of maturation to do with Cabrian Hayes when it comes to big league hitting. He's 23 years old. 23 years old. Very high prospect in the Pirate system. I know the Pirate system's not great, but he's a high prospect, period, especially when it comes to fantasy. Uh, that 18-9 and nine projection from Steamer, maybe he hits it right, 25-15. and 15. Like, that was a legit possibility, according to James and some other prospect guys. If you can get 25-15 and 15 with a 285 average at pick 125, at once was like 150 and 160, which is really awesome. But that price tag's coming up. But what you can get from him helping you in all five categories, if you miss out on the Mankatas and other guys earlier, I'm a big Brian Hayes fan. So I'm going to buy in on that. It might sting me. I actually I don't think I actually have him in any of my drafts yet because people are moving him up the boards. But uh, I'm going to try to get some of him before the price gets too crazy. Who's your next guy? Um, yeah, my next guy, I really had to like – try hard here to get a second guy in. I'm really struggling with these second guys in, in some of these infield previews, which maybe is telling you a little bit about how I feel about the value of kind of the middle tier of these, of these infield positions. But um, I went with Matt Chapman. Uh, he's going at ADP of 118. Last year he was going around, um, you know, 84, I want to say. Um you know, he was injured pretty much all of last year and was fighting through it, which impacted the batted ball quality. Um, but I just think that if you thought he was really good, you know, in previous seasons, right, uh, plus plate discipline, um, plus uh, contact rate, you know, in terms of limiting his his contact, the hard hit rate being there, um, then I think you you still need to buy in on a guy who's, what, 27 yeah, he's he's 27, so he's still young. There's no reason why he should have gone down. And then if you if you are concerned, what I would look at is exit velocity. Highest average exit velocity of his career last year. Highest max exit velo of his career at 115.9. Highest barrel rate of his career and high, highest hard hit rate. So he was super unlucky, you know, despite being injured. The strikeout rate was, you know, was crazy high. What was it? 35% or something like that. So it was pretty clear that he was, um, you know, that, that there was something was wrong, but um, I just don't know why a player at this age has that type of a drastic decline. So again, his steamer projection, 250, 35 home runs, 94 runs, 98 RBI. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty similar production, at least in the middle three categories as those guys that you were drafting earlier on in the drafts. And so if you were into Matt Chapman last year, when he was going in the mid eighties, I think you definitely need to be in on him going around pick one twenty um, at this point in drafts. Yeah. They're saying that the surgery he had, he should be fully recovered. Shouldn't have many issues either. So that's a good, 
a good thing to consider as well. So I think there's something to definitely like about Chapman. He was definitely hurt for way too long. Something to uh, keep in mind. My th- uh, my guy, my second guy is Gio Urshela. Not a sexy pick at all. Uh, he's going around pick 155, as high as 121, but as low as 237. So that's why I wanted to highlight him. There's a lot of drafts where he falls just because he's he's not sexy. Like he's really a boring player. But what he does for your fantasy team, he, is, he accumulates. You know, he hits for a good average. He's got some power. County stats will be good because he's on the Yankees. Won't steal a ton. So that's something to keep in mind. Like he had one steal each of the last two seasons, projected for three next year. But he's projected at 268, which I think is too low. 298 and 314 in the last two years. We've really seen him getting consistent at bats to the Yankees. The plate skills have gotten better and better each year. The barrel rates, the hard hit rates. He's walking more. He's striking out less. Everything's gotten better and better the last two years. Like he went from 21-7, 18-3 to 14.4% strikeout rates in three seasons. Walk rates 4-3-5-3-10-3. We're seeing much more discipline, much better skills at the plate. Um, they have him for 19 home runs. He had 21 home runs in 2019. So he's got 20 home run upside. Could go 75-75 in the counting stats. Hit for a good average. He's coming late in drafts. If somehow you miss out on third base, he's a good like alternate prize is what I would say at third base. Uh, Gio Urshela, I think there's a lot to like with him. You don't have to worry about uh, Andahar or someone else. Now it's his position, barring something crazy happening. Uh, the only concern would be when everyone was healthy early in the year last year, he was batting seventh or eighth. Still loaded lineup, still good. Guys started getting hurt. He started batting anywhere from like third, fourth, or fifth. When guys started slowly getting healthy again, he still batted fifth or sixth. So they realized how good he was at the plate, and they kept him in there, even sixth. And that Yankees lineup is scary good. So I, I like your shill as a late option if you need one. Yeah, he, he is having surgery. I don't know if you saw that. I did not but see that. Yeah, he's out for three months. He has a uh, a bone chip in his elbow. Uh, um, that should not affect his hitting, so I'm good. Yeah, there. hopefully not. I'm saying he's still he's yeah. still good. But um, I think that may be why you see him dropping. Like he just went at two pick 220-something. In the draft that I that I was in, um, I will swipe uh, this time. I don't know. I don't know why the Yankees are real. The Yankees are really good at diagnosing injuries, like very far into the off season. You know, yeah, it's kind so of like with Aaron yeah. Judge last year, where it was like, you know, they're like, he's fine. He's know, fine. He's, yeah, he's fine. He's fine until like spring training rolls around or whatever. No, he has a, a like a, a collapsed lung and four broken ribs. <laughs> Oh, how did that happen? Yeah, it's like no wonder he can't swing the bat. Thank yeah. you, <laughs> geniuses. Fantasy owners appreciate that, or fa- fantasy players appreciate that. Yeah, um, cool. All right, so late round targets. We have a, a handful of guys here. Why don't you run through yours real quick? Yeah, so um, a guy that I always love um, is Brian Anderson. Um, last year, from a skills perspective, actually not that great. Um, the results were nice. I mean, he hit for a ton of power, but still some of the limiting issues like high ground ball rate that he generally has, but you know, he, he hits, he plays every single day. He plays third base. He hits for a little bit of power. Doesn't hurt you in batting average. Um, I think he contributes a little bit all over the place, which going around pick, you know, 200 or so, um, I think it's a really solid value. So if you do miss out on all the third baseman that you want, I don't think that Anderson is is terrible. And I think he's a really nice um, corner infielder um, to have. So he's my, he's my first guy. Yeah. My first guy, it will be Justin Turner. It's a guy I usually don't draft because his price tag is much, much higher, but right now 
He's a 25th third baseman at the board, about 217. Obviously still looking for a home, but uh, there's rumors the Dodgers, someone's going to sign Justin Turner just because he's such a pure hitter. I've also gotten over the fact he usually doesn't play a lot of games. He played 42 this last year, which about to, uh, a little over two-thirds of the season. So that, that's pretty good and pretty normal for Justin Turner. But when he does play, he's a 300 hitter. He's like a 400 OBP guy because he walks a ton, barely strikes out. He's going to hit you 20-plus home runs. He's going to hit in the middle of the order most of the time, fifth or sixth maybe. So he's going to hit you 75 and 75. He's going to put up very good numbers, basically numbers I just talked about with Gio Urshela, maybe even better. And we just need to find a home for him to see where that lands. Like there's obviously a couple places that could stink. But um, where he's being drafted right now, A, is way later than usual for him. And B, I think even at that price point, no matter where he goes, he's got a lot of upside. So I'm intrigued a lot with Justin Turner. I usually never, ever draft Justin Turner. So he's a late-round target um, if you've kind of lost uh, out on third base or if you're in a D.C. best ball type format. I wouldn't mind giving him a shot. Who's your next guy? Next guy for me is uh, Josh Donaldson. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of issues surrounding injuries, um, the calf muscle, how much rest he's going to get, how many breaks he's going to get. But I mean, you know, he's one he's one year older than where than last year. Obviously, he had the calf injury, but he also had the calf injury, whatever it is, three years ago. Now came back with the Braves um, and was awesome. And so I just think from a per plate appearance. Um, perspective from a pl- per plate appearance perspective. How's that for alliteration? You um, you know, I just think that he can contribute so much that where he's going in drafts around pick two twenty ish, you know, I just think that that's, that's a, a risk, um, that I would be, uh, that I'd be willing to take, um, for sure there. I mean, that pick is like, a, I don't know, like a $7 pick, something like that, a $6 pick. And I just think that even if he, even if he's slightly limited, he can definitely return some value on that, particularly when you consider that when he's injured, you get to replace him with, you know, somebody else on your team. So um, I really like Josh Donaldson where he's going right now. Yep. Um, it's a very interesting pick, but definitely has the value. Uh, my next guy is uh, Heimer Candelario of the Detroit Tigers. Uh, a lot of it's value of where he's going and B is the upside 27 years old. Finally played every day last year and finally started hitting that uh, prospect pedigree. We've hoped he would uh, produce like hit 297. You know, he hasn't done that most of his career in the minors, though. He's a pretty productive hitter. So even if it's 270, 275, I'm on board there. The power is pretty good. A little bit of speed hitting in the middle of the Tigers lineup. I know it's not a great lineup, but hitting in the middle of the lineup, I'll, I'll take a, a chance on him. Switch hitter. I think he's still going to be getting better. He's got Miggy around him to kind of learn from, and Miggy is a whole other conversation topic sometime. Of Ooh, I can't wait to talk about Miggy. Love he's Miggy. actually he's actually sneaky interesting right yeah. now. So oh, I love yeah, it. I'm with you there. Um, so there, there's there's some things to like. Like the Tigers, they're young, but they're starting to put a little bit together. Like they're not there yet, but they're starting to put it together. I like Heimer as a late round uh, target if you're looking for some just for the potential upside he brings to the table uh, in drafts. Who's your next guy? Uh, my next guy is Austin Riley. Um, you know, Riley came up and he just really struggled to make contact. Um, he was up and down this past year, you know, eight home runs, 24 runs, 27 RBIs. So nothing crazy hit, hit 239. Um, but what I really liked was the contact gains. Um, his contact was up uh, about 
over 9% overall to 72.5%, which is very respectable. His plate discipline improved as well. Now his batted ball quality took um, a little bit of a hit, but you know the exit velocity was actually higher. Max exit below, below pretty similar. The barrel rate was down, hard hit rate down slightly as well. But you know the fact that he was able, able to make some of those adjustment, adjustments start being a little bit more selective, start making a little bit more contact. We know what he's capable of. Um, so where he's going in drafts, I think it's just a lot of upside um, for him there in a deep Braves lineup. You know, he's going to be towards the back of the lineup. I think he hit seventh normally um, when he was um, when he was uh, in the lineup last year. But even at that point in time, you know, in that deep Braves lineup, I think he should get plenty of opportunities. And I think there's the potential that you could be looking at getting, you know, 30 plus home runs. Um, and a good chunk of RBI without a batting average that kills you too much pretty late in drafts. Yeah, no, uh, Riley's a very interesting one, especially he's like a Matt Chapman light as hard as he hits the baseball. Like you're ready for that Matt Chapman type season from him. Uh, my third guy, this is partly why I hope Justin Turner doesn't come back to the Dodgers. It needs to be Edwin Rios time. It just needs to be Edwin Rios time. If he gets an everyday job, his uh, price tag is going to skyrocket from like pick 345 right now. He will go through the roof, and uh, people got a little taste of it in the playoffs. But we, you know, people that actually pay attention saw it during the season. His hard hit rate is crazy at forty five percent hard hit rate this last year, forty six percent bell rate over thirteen percent. Um, you know, ground ball rates thirty two percent, five ball rates thirty four. It's not bad. Contact rates a little below average, but not horrible. Whiff rates way above average, but that's always been the trend for him. The things that were weird, 216 bad up, so he hit 250. Usually he's a – even throughout the minors, like a 270 to 290 hitter, give or take. At least his bad up was much, much higher than 218. So I think there's a lot more to like with him. The power is legit. Steamer's really low on him. I think Steamer's a way too conservative. 223 average, he's a better hitter than that. Like the more comfortable he gets in the bigs, even when he was striking out as much as he hit, 250 last year, 277 in 2019 in small samples. Like he still hit for a good average. 223 is way too low. Like that's just not going to happen. They have him for a 36% strikeout rate after 21.7% last year. Like 2019 and 2018, he had bad strikeout rates. Prior to that in the minors, it was 22% and below for the most part, except like his first year in rookie ball. Like this guy, he's got better play discipline than, than most projection sites give him credit for. Lots and lots of power. And if he's in the Dodgers lineup, that's always a big boost too. So I love Edwin Rios. I'm taking chances on him in a lot of drafts right now. So I'm hoping he gets the call. Sweet. Who's your, you got anybody else? I'm, I'm going to go with the number four. It's my Bubba special. Um, I'm going to go with Evan Longoria. Longo. Um, God, he's going. Boring, but good. <laughs> where, where is he going in drafts? It's very late. He's going around pick 400 um, for people who were fortunate enough to have him at least in deeper leagues last year. Um, you know, he was just solid. Like he played every single day. He hit. He only hit seven home runs, but when you look at some of the Statcast data, uh, his exit velo was up ninety-one point seven mile per hour, actually a career high. His max exit velo was also a career high at one eleven point five. Barrel rate tied a career high at eleven point five percent. Also set a re- set a career high in hard hit rate. So the Statcast data was very very good. And you look, he had eighteen barrels last year and only seven home runs. We know from some of the research that Max Fries has done that statistic that the average league wide, I think is about like 58% uh, of barrels end up as home runs. And so he underperformed that significantly, you know, uh, 
great, a solid plate discipline, 29.7% O swing, really good contact rate at, at 91% in the zone and 80% overall. So I just think for a guy who's going to be in the middle of that lineup, playing every day, set career highs in some of these stat cast metrics at a ripe old age of how old is he? Like he's 35, 74, he's 74 and he broke these stat cast measures. So he's 35. So he's still got a little juice left in him. And, you know, those guys who play every single day who are mediocre are incredibly valuable, especially in deeper leagues. And so Longoria is definitely a guy that I would prioritize later in drafts for my bench, because if I have anybody in the corner infield or third base spot who gets injured, he's going to be playing every day and he's reliable. So um, he's the guy that I would, that I would look to um, as kind of a really deep, deep guy. Yeah. I like the Longoria shot quite a bit. I think he's very underappreciated in drafts right now. And if you want to look at his X home runs, he had seven homers last year. His X home runs is 9.2. Uh, so he actually underachieved according to that stat, if you believe in those stats. And I believe. Has, and his no-doubter rate was 71%. So when he hit him, he hit him. But, um, yeah, I, there's a lot to like with him. I really I really believe that too. So I'm with you on that one. Let's get into listener questions here. Our good buddy uh, at SMMS79 asks, is Cabrian Hayes going to be a top 115 ADP by March? In a vacuum, would you rather have him over Alec Baum? Yes, he'll be at 11580 uh, I kind of hit on that. He's already up to 125. So he's going to be a top 115 guy for sure. I'd have him over Alec Baum. I understand why some people want Alec Baum. For me, the difference is Baum's not going to steal bases. So that's my two my my two cents. What do you think on that one? Yeah, it's a hard one for sure. Um, I probably take Hayes over Bomb. I think because, like you mentioned, I think there's more paths to to value there with the stolen bases. Um, so yeah, so I think I would say yes to both. Probably. I mean, people love their young, the young players. Um, so I think he his ADP continues to push up because people don't want to miss out on him, and I think he's better than Bomb. Yeah, the one I'm thing like, I'd say tilts in Bohm's favor is Philadelphia. is the context. Yeah, like he's hitting in Philadelphia and he's in that lineup. And and if Real Muto doesn't resign, then he just kind of pushes up higher and in, into the middle of that order. So, um, yeah, it'll be really close. It's one of those I could see by the end of the season. I could see either case playing out, and I wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't because they're very similar, to say the least. So another reason why I take A's at twenty picks later. So. Um, uh, SMMS's other question, Josh Donaldson is one ninety four ADP value add or just right. Who do you ideally pair him with if you wanted to try and platoon the position? So you liked, uh, the value on Josh Donaldson. Would you try to grab someone, uh, assuming he gets hurt at some point in time to platoon with? Um, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Like Longoria is a perfect, a perfect pairing there. Right. Um, and I think compensates for what could be some of Donaldson week, Donaldson's weakness in terms of you know making a lot of contact and maybe having a higher batting average. But um, so yeah, I think that that's a great it's a great strategy, if you will. Certainly, if you have Donaldson as your third baseman and not just your corner infielder, you want to have some insurance um, in your lineup on a regular basis because I think the Twins have already said that they plan on you know, really being cautious with him. And so maybe that's, he gets a day off every week, 
you know, if they're consistent with that, it makes it a little bit easier to make some lineups decisions in, in kind of your NFBC format. But um, yeah, I, I think that that's a good approach would be making sure you have another third baseman on your roster at all times. At uh, at Hastings, Kevin, Kevin Hastings, Mr. TGFBI himself. TGFBI champion, yep. Kevin Hastings. He asked, the Carlos Santana signing of a Kel Franco non-tender could very well indicate a return to third base for Hunter Dozier, which Dayton Moore, GM of the Royals, said Hunter Dozier is going back to third base with this. Where would he slide into your rankings? Because he's not third base eligible yet, obviously would be pretty quickly if he's playing every day. Uh, I like Dozier a lot. There's still question marks with him. His average is kind of a concern at times, but the power's good, and he's running more. He said he was going to, and he actually did last year. So I, I'm a big Hunter Dozier fan. Um, where would you be interested in a Hunter Dozier like in the third base uh, world? Like he's probably a Chapman type. Maybe maybe I'm too high on him in that respect. Like I had Franco at 17, so I'd have Dozier around 15, 13. What about you? Um, yeah, I don't have the rankings. I mean, from an ADP perspective, I think around where Brian Anderson is going, maybe around that 280 P although I'd be lying to you probably because I had a chance to grab him at like, I think 210 and maybe even 240, And I didn't go after him, which could have been a roster construction piece. But again, I think solid all, overall around, I think Bubba, you, you said he ran, he ran more this past year. I think that's key. I mean, if he does that, that could be really, really nice. Um, you know, but yeah, plays every day, doesn't hurt you in anything in particular, maybe a little bit of upside because we've seen him go on some real um some real uh, heaters before. Um so yeah, I think he's I think he's very solid. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um Dave Petro's yellow, our buddy. I'm liking Condelario. Um he says, if you already talked about him, uh, then you probably feel the same. And I think I spelled his name wrong. Like Toby, I also like Devers in the discount from last year. Dave, we are all on the same page with you. Yeah. That answers that question. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say on the, on, the, on, the, on the Candelario, I'm probably not as high as maybe some other people are. Um, I think he could be really good. And I think he has the dual position eligibility, which is really nice. Um, so, and, and he's going, I mean, for where he's going in drafts, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's solid. Um, I think, you know, 372 Babbitt. So the batting average is a little bit of a question mark for me, but, uh, all around, all around solid. Our buddy, David Mendelson, he asked, who's your favorite late round target at third base between David boat, Abraham Toro, Luis Urias. I that's tough. What, what what do you say? Well, if I I would probably go with I mean, there's a considerable gap in ADP, so they're not necessarily the, the price isn't necessarily the same. I think Bodie would be the guy that I would go to from a value perspective, but I think if you were to offer them straight up to me, I'd go with Urias just because I think he plays every day. He's got the multi position. Um eligibility with shortstop in addition to second and third base and Bodie. I'm not sure, you know, just because he's older, I don't know if they're going to give him the, the, the full run out, you know, I don't know if that makes sense for where the Cubs are. I mean, they seem to be wanting to give some younger players an opportunity. So, but I don't know if they have any other guys that they can kind of stick it 
third base other than, well, I guess Chris Bryant, huh? Or second base, wherever Bodie ends up playing. So, yeah. Well, see, it seemed, it seemed Bodie got his playing time when guys got hurt. So it's kind of tough. Like, like you said, Urias is the only one out of the three projected to start. So you got to kind of have him ahead of Bodie and then Toro. Toro's interesting just because when he played, he runs. It's just a matter if he plays when guys get hurt also. So you have to kind of keep your eye on that one. So I go Urias as well just for knowing he's our guy getting played right now. All right, Derek Rhodes, he asked a question. Who is your guy's favorite scenes from Moneyball? I'm watching it tonight, and it's all Toby's fault. His tweets, he tweets one quote from the film, and now I got to watch the whole thing. And then Toby came across with a bit of a haymaker later on in the Twitter thread. So what do you got to say, Toby? I've never seen uh, Moneyball. I've never read Moneyball. Um, never seen or read Moneyball. I think this makes me a failure as a fantasy analyst. So I'm just going to no. retire after this podcast. No, uh, I, it, well, it made me feel better. You said that because I've seen it a long time ago. I haven't watched it in forever. Like it's been a long time. It's like, I, I gotta remember certain scenes, but not stick. Like these guys are reciting the whole movie. So I felt really bad about that. Um, I like when he tries to explain them how Scott Hatterberg is a great player to, to get acquired because of his on base percentage. I find that very entertaining in the world we live in now. Yeah. But um, there's a ton of good scenes. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it ruin you though. It's just, I think everyone's on a kick right now because it's on Netflix. Oh, okay. So everyone's all excited now. It's maybe, on maybe I'll check it out. I mean, honestly, I don't watch a lot of movies, guys. I don't watch a lot of movies. Period. And then generally, when I'm watching a movie, you know, I'm watching a movie with my wife, and yeah, we kind of like watch Moneyball. <laughs> the the um the kind of more like smaller independent type films is if you haven't guessed is kind of my um, go-to if, if the, if the plaid and the flannel didn't give it away, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would, um, but I'd love to see it. It's a good, flick. it's a good flick to watch. It is. Um, there's other baseball movies. I like a lot more, but I get the money ball appeal. Um, the draft champ or the draft champions podcast draft at draft champagne. He asks, whoever guesses both of these right, okay, his concern, he he was concerned about, uh, he did a a left-handed split and a right-handed split, another new feature on Savant of uh, Jose Ramirez. And the left-handed split, 175 to 200 plate appearances, don't look good. The right-handed split, about 60 to 70% plate appearances, looks really good. So what he's telling us, left side of the plate, not great. Right side, good. Zach's in the chat right now. I'm not concerned about it. Are you concerned about it? Zach's in the chat right now. Yeah. What's up, Zach? Um, I'm not concerned about it at all. Um, if you look at his lefty and righty splits throughout his career, so looking at a broader sample size, versus lefties, um, uh, 292 batting average versus righties, 275. But he has more power um, from the left-hand side. Um, he's got nearly three times as many home runs. So maybe it's about equal power. His WRC plus left and right is 122 from versus lefties and 124 versus righties. Um, so I think that's my first, um, my first thing is just, I think we got to be cautious on the sample size. I also think that the stack cast bars can be dangerous because they take us away from thinking about like what the, where the value from different players comes from. And so like with Ramirez, the value comes number one from the speed, yep. uh, which is, which is huge. And we have no real question about whether he's going to be able to 
steel bases or, or I don't think we should have question based on his past experiences. I don't think we should have um, uh, questions about like his power overall as well. Like he's been able in full seasons to put up high power numbers, regardless of what those splits necessarily are. And I think most importantly with Ramirez, we're not really worried about, I'm not too worried about his batted ball quality or um, the batting average because the volume of, of batted balls that he has, because he makes so much contact is so much higher. So again, I think we talked about it earlier on. I think that his floor for his batting average is really high because he makes so much contact that even in low Babbitt seasons, like he had in 18 and 19, he still put together a reasonable batting average, but then his real value comes from not only like the massive runs and RBIs that he puts up, but also the, the power speed combination. I don't think that's going um, uh, anywhere. And so um, you know, again, like, I just think that with, with all of these new tools and this new data that we have, like, you know, this is one of the things I think projections have been really helpful for me is they take some of the pressure off figuring out like these getting into the minutia of the data, because anytime we see something like that, right. Like small sample sizes can be influenced by things, you know, guys can underperform small sample sizes, um, in one category within a season and overperform them in another area that impacts the same line. And so the projections try to take an aggregate. And what it tells me is he's the eighth best player in fantasy projected to be the eighth best player in fantasy this year. And so I really have no um, concerns uh, about him. Sorry, Zach. Apologies. Cause you're all, you're in the stream. Uh, I want to be, I want to, I want to find yeah, fault. He, in it, he but, said, he, he says he figured that's what we'd say. So he, yeah. he, he gets it. We're broke. We're broken records in here. Yeah. Um, Art, uh, boy, cheesecake from the triple play fantasy. Uh, we answered this question already. What's your outlook on Josh Donaldson and health wise? Is he worth the value? Yes. Yes, he is worth the value. Um, the last question we have here, Ben Tid, listener of the show, breaking Ben underscore T. It's not a third base relevant, but I saw your tweet. And we're not saying, answering the question, Ben. This is a third base preview. We <laughs> only do third base questions. No, I'm just kidding. But he said he saw Toby's tweet saying that he disliked Carlos Santana's sign. Then he saw Bubba's tweet that said he liked it. You should debate. You should debate it. You should debate it either at the very beginning of the pod or at the very end. So we're at the very end of the pod. Ooh. Why don't Why don't you like? I, I, why don't you like fight, the sign? Fight, You're a Carlos fight, Santana fan. Fight, what happened? Fight. Fight. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, so here's the thing. I'm a Carlos Santana fan. I think Carlos Santana is still very good. I think he was very unlucky last year. I don't think any of that changes. But within the things that the things that could influence how well Carlos Santana does, the number one thing is, is um, lineup and context, right? And the Royals aren't terrible, right? Because I think he's going to be batting third or fourth with Whit Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi, two of me and Bubba's favorite players, batting in front of him, stealing bases, getting on second, getting on third. So maybe that's going to help him out in the RBI department. You know, uh, Sal Perez there as well. But none of those guys are particularly high OBP guys, I would say. Okay? So that's maybe a neutral to slightly positive, I'll say. But like I was thinking, like twins, maybe twins made a lot of sense, you know, things like you that. Had, you had a ceiling perspective. I had a ceiling perspective. Okay. And then the other thing is the park factor, and you can't get much worse than Kauffman Stadium. And I know, you know, again, having the incredibly intelligent listeners that we have, 
Um, somebody pointed out that Santana, actually his career numbers at Kauffman stadium are the best he has ever had anywhere. And maybe that's a result of like the batter's eye and the way it sets up for him or a level of comfort <laughs> or facing the Royals, probably a more likely thing, but I don't put a ton of stock in that just because it, it is 74 games and it is against the, um, it is against the Royals. So what I will say is I shouldn't have said, I hate it. Uh, number one, uh, Kevin Hastings, big Royals fan, huge Royals fan, TV, TGFBI champion, LOL, a joke that I had earlier, earlier on just a little bit ago. So I shouldn't be crapping on his Royals. That's number one. Uh, number two, um, but, but, and so it's not that I necessarily hate it because he's playing every day. He's going to hit in the middle of the lineup and the lineup isn't God awful. Right. So there are things that ways that it could have been worse. I think there are ways that it could have been better. But now that I've had some time to to digest the news and analyze it a little bit more, um, you know, I, I, me and Bubba are not in a fight. As usual, we are we are in agreement. I think it's a fine signing. It's not the best it could have been. I had my ceiling hat on. I didn't have my floor hat on, and I think it's fine. How about you, Bubba? Yeah, we'd all love him to be on the Twins. I'm not going to argue. Like, that'd be great. I'd like him to go to Colorado, too, if that works. Totally. But. That's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for Camden. I was hoping for Camden. Terrible, yeah. awful ale. Can, can he go to Yankee Stadium, by chance? Like, Blue yeah. Voight, get out of the way? Does that work? Totally. Yeah, now, I'm, now I hate it again. Yeah. Now you're mentioning all these great spots. Get it <laughs> but, like, the lineup actually intrigued me. Maryville Montessi leading off. Uh, Zach Roto makes a good point. They, they could steal second and third base, uh, moving the shift where Santana always has the shift as a major uh, factor on him. You got uh, – they protect him at fourth right now. So Salvi President in third, Santana, then Soler and Dozier behind them, not scrubs. Like they're not batting average assets, but not scrubs. So I think it's an interesting one through six in Kansas City now. I'll give them that much. Mm. Um, we mentioned I, how unlucky you got. 253 uh, X batting average last year. Still going to walk a ton. Uh, a funny stat that uh, the Royals review, the SB Nation uh, Royals website. Carlos Santana drew 47 walks in 60 games last year. The Royals only had three hitters who drew that many walks in 162 <laughs> games in 2019. Sandana hit under the Mendoza line last year and still had a better OBP than everyone on the Royals except Salvador <laughs> Perez. <laughs> and the only reason Salvi had a good OBP is because he hit. 465, whatever. Oh, my God. So that made me laugh. But but the biggest thing, the biggest thing, he's got a job. He's in the American League, which in that division outside the Indians, some nice matchups. The White Sox are getting better. Not going to deny that. But still, good ballpark to hit in when you're on the road. And he's going to pick 315. Like, 315 seems pretty cool to me. If you're looking for a late round first baseman corner infield, going to get on base a ton in points leagues, tremendous. I think there's a lot to like with him. This is a guy we used to take in the top 20 to 25. He had a bad year. You're going to get a value here. That's my thoughts. Oh, I mean, he is still phenomenal value. Let us not question that for one second. I mean, people listen to the first base pod, right? I mean, we love Carlos Santana, but I do think, you made some excellent points there. I think Zach made an excellent point yeah. about the shift that I hadn't thought about. I mean, that's a super that those are the types of like things, right. That we can't see in the numbers that are super interesting to think about is like, did the Royals have that like in their minds as to why they might be interested in this guy? Who knows? Maybe Santana can like 
teach Mondesi how to take a pitch, you know, or like probably not Salvi. I think he's beyond, he's beyond, he's beyond repair and it's working fine for him, but Mondesi, I mean, maybe he could be like, maybe you could teach him something. Can we get like some research done? Like when Carlos Santana moves to a team, does their O swing decrease, you know, outside of just him because just watching him bat makes everybody so much better and at plate discipline. Um, I don't know. That's, that's something for the researchers to figure out, but I think these are all great points. You all have swayed me. I'm in love with this move to the Royals for, (laughs) for Carlos Santana. I just, um, the only thing I wish I could get is some more Carlos Santana, the singer puns, you know, thrown in there or music lyrics, um, I think would be really great. Yeah, I've already heard it. It was such a smooth move by the Royals. So, yeah, yeah that's a good one. But uh, we'll end it on that note. We'll end it on that note. Third base preview is done. Head to the outfield next week. Um, get started there. Probably do a how couple. Many, how many are we going to break that into? Yeah. yeah. Probably two. We'll probably find a way to do two. Okay. And have some fun with that without going too crazy deep on the outfield. But uh, we'll, we'll get cracking at that. But uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up third base? No, I just want to do um, thank uh, the smartest listeners um, uh, in in all of fantasy baseball um, who listen to the podcast. Uh, really appreciate all of your um, um, yeah, you guys listening to it. It's awesome. Thanks for everybody who joined us in the um, in the stream. That was a lot of fun too, and great points made um, in there as well. So just appreciate all of you guys. I hope everybody's having a nice um, holiday season. I know there's a lot going on in the world, so. Um, uh, thanks for taking, thanks for taking an hour and a half. I would say an hour, but I'm not going to lie to you guys. Thanks for taking an hour and a half of your, of your week to spend with us. We always appreciate it. Yep. Much appreciated. It's fun. Uh, the third base position, the last thing I'll mention is it, uh, it, it's deep, but it's ugly deep. So I wouldn't wait too long on the position. Let's put it that way. A lot of those late guys are good for backups. Don't, I wouldn't want to go to battle with a lot of those guys as my starting third baseman. So Something to think about in that regard, hey, but can, uh, can we re- can we name this podcast like when we like when we publish it out there? Can we name it Third Base Ugly Deep? Ugly Deep, yes, yes. Don't I go to battle with these guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it's an interesting position, but uh, all shameless plug. Starting on the fifteenth, you have a week from tonight when we recorded. Uh, I'll start drawing for some of the free prizes. So keep rating, reviewing. You guys are doing great. Keep that coming. We'll uh, get you some cool prizes. But as Toby said, thanks for listening. You guys are awesome. Uh, keep the questions coming down the line here. And you can check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter at BDentric. And we will catch you guys next week with the outfield preview, but third base in the books. See you.